Merry Christmas to you. Glad, glad to see you. I'm glad you're here. My name is Greg Paris. We're so thrilled that uh, you're here for the Advent season here at Union Chapel. We're celebrating the coming of Messiah, Jesus Christ, to the world. We've been in a series called The Journey this Advent season. We've been reading between the lines the life of Joseph and Mary as they have, as they have navigated this call of God on their life. And we've considered that they had a change of plans. That happens. Last week, we talked about overcoming offenses. For sure, we know they probably received some offenses under the circumstances. And today, we want to talk about overcoming shame. And that may be a, a bit of an odd topic for you, but as we get into the message, I think it'll make sense to you. And we can certainly identify with Joseph and Mary as they uh, experienced some of this kind of emotion in their journey. So I've chosen as our text today from Luke's Gospel. I'm going to read from chapter 2. This is the classic Christmas story that we find at this time of year, so I hope it's a blessing and meaningful to you. Luke chapter 2, I'm going to read the first seven verses. Our custom is to stand to hear God's word, so as you're able, would you please? And Luke writes, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. May God inspire us today through his word. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Let me ask you a question. Think back in your early childhood when you first really felt bad about something that you did, something wrong that you did and you really felt bad, maybe even felt shame over it. Can you remember such a time? Uh, for me, it was... For me, it was an occasion when some of my buddies in my small town where I grew up, we were, uh, we were very creative, I think, as I look back on it in our small town, trying to entertain ourselves. You know, back in the day, there was no technology, no video games, no smartphones, um, none of that stuff. And so we had to kind of make up our own entertainment. And we were pretty good at it, I think. For example, on one occasion, I remember we actually built a functioning airport where we had toy planes and we built this airport with a runway and the whole thing and we had schedules and, and, and destinations and, and, and flight arrangements and, and we would physically take toy planes, take them off and walk them around the neighborhood as if we were flying to London or something like that. And it was just kind of curious that we would do that. On one occasion, my good friend Mike Nunley, who was in my neighborhood, he and I were both fascinated with the whole space program, NASA's space program, especially in that, those years when they were, we were trying to get to the moon. And if you'll remember, if you remember your history, or some of you are old enough to remember that the Mercury space program was the single man, one man spacecraft, and then the Gemini was the two man, and then the Apollo was the three man. The Apollo was the one that ultimately went to the moon. And Mike Nunley and I actually built a Gemini space capsule simulator. We built, and we built it out of a cardboard box. 
that we had acquired from a local appliance store. So we, you know, put this whole thing together, put the dials in, all that. And we were actually planning a mission, a three-day space mission in this simulator. We were going to live three days in a box. (laughs) What stopped us was we couldn't figure out how to do the instant food or take the bathroom breaks. And so it had to be canceled. There was no way to accommodate... Uh, food going in or coming out. So, so, so we had to say no to the three days in a box. On one occasion, <laughs> oh boy, on one occasion, we decided to replicate the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. You know, we're Indiana boys, so that fascinated us and we loved Indy cars. And so we we're going to build a speedway, but we needed Indy cars. We needed 33 cars and we didn't have enough cars. And I remember going to my parents and saying, you know, would you give me money so I could go to the store and buy at least one or two of these uh, Indy cars? And they said, no. (laughs) And it was very disappointing to me. And so for several days, you know, we were trying to figure out a way to get enough cars together to replicate the the motor speedway. And, and And so one day I was walking home and right on the side of the road, it wasn't in a yard or it wasn't in the road. It was in that gravelly part, you know, uh, the shoulder, and there was, there was an Indy car sitting there. You know, it had some wear on it. And I looked up, and I realized I was right in front of my other friend, Rusty Garrison's house. And I looked at this car, and I looked at his house, and then I began to reason, rationalize, you know, it's not actually in his yard. So technically, it, it doesn't actually belong here. And it's not in the road. I mean, anyone could have left it there. It could have fallen out of a car when someone drove by. I reasoned this all out, and I decided... No one's ever going to claim this car, so I just picked it up and I took it home. And it didn't set well with me because I knew deep down that this was Rusty Garrison's car. And so several hours later, I confessed this to my mother. She was not very happy with me. She made me march it back down there the next day, knock on the door, say, hi, I stole your car. Here it is back. And, and so, you know, shame on me. Let me, uh, let me try to differentiate between guilt and shame. On your outline, you'll see a couple of words that will make a difference there. Guilt is, I did bad. I did bad. We feel guilt because we actually do bad things. We feel guilt because we are guilty. So we do bad things, and, and we feel bad about that, and it's right that we feel bad because it's not a good thing. It's a bad thing, and so that means we have a conscience It means God's spirit is at work because the spirit of God is actually called to help remind us when we're outside the boundaries. So guilt isn't a bad thing. All it does is remind us that we did something bad. Shame, on the other hand, is I am bad. I am bad. So shame is connecting the what with the who. Follow me now. What we did with who we are. That's a big, it's a big jump. I did something bad, so I am bad, or so we come to believe. So the internal thinking, the self-concept begins to be influenced by the notion that not only have I done a bad thing, but I am a bad person. I was rejected, so that means I am nothing. I have no value. After what I did, I am a worthless person. So what becomes who? Now, in my life, fast forward, I'm, I'm doing some confessions in this sermon this weekend, so you have to bear with me. I'm not sure it's helping anyone, but I'm, I'm being therapeutically helped by just uh, expressing my, my problems. 
fast forward now in my life until I, I was 12 years old, and it was Halloween, and I never was much for dressing up and going trick-or-treating, that sort of thing, but I, but I did enjoy candy, and so I came up with this plan because I knew the traffic pattern of Halloweeners in my neighborhood, and these kids would go from house to house, door to door, and they would just walk from house to house across the front yards of people's homes, and knowing the traffic pattern there, I went in my garage and found a piece of old uh, clothesline rope, and we had a little tree sitting in the front of our yard, and so I tied that rope off at about 10 inches up on the tree and then stretched it back to the corner of our house behind a bush. And after dark then, knowing that the trick-or-treaters would come by, I just waited until they came across. And when they got there, I just raised the rope. And, I, and by the way, I just wanted to tell you that the grass in our yard was really fluffy soft. It was almost pillow-like. It was so soft. Had to cut that grass twice a week because it was just so cushiony. And so I would, I would stretch the line and trip these children, and they would fall because, you know, they got their mask on. They can't see where they're going. And they, and they would fall and spill out their candy on the ground. I would just jump out from behind the bush, scoop up the candy, and go back behind the bush and wait for the next group to come by. It was horrible. It was a terrible thing to do, although quite effective. I had quite a pile of candy, just saying. And the grass was really soft. Now, that was all going swimmingly well until my mother caught me. And then it was, what are you doing? I'm so embarrassed. Shame on you. Shame on you. So here's what can happen. What we do can easily morph from what I did to I am a bad person. And it happens to all of us to one degree or another. Some of us suffer with this more than others, but all of us to some degree. Maybe someone this weekend that I've been talking to is hiding an addiction. And as a result of that, you've gone from what to who? I'm a horrible person. Or you told a lie about another person. It hurt them. It damaged their reputation. And you've gone from what you did to who you are. I'm a bad person as a result. Maybe some of you have a sordid sexual past. And more and more that's true in our culture. And so you've gone from what behaviors you engaged in to I'm not a worthwhile person. Some of you thinking they would never let me volunteer here at Union Chapel if they've known what I did. And you live with that. It could be any number of things. And you have connected the what with the who. And many people now I know that I'm talking to have concluded I'm not a good person. I'm defective. I'm damaged. I'm broken. I'm flawed. I'm dirty. I'm ugly, I'm impure, I'm disgusting, I'm unlovable, I'm weak, I'm pitiful, I'm insignificant, I'm worthless, I'm unwanted. The psychological sciences get into this category, and so if you're in counseling, you have a therapist or something like that, they may actually use this phrase, shame-based thinking. Shame-based, it happens when you start to internalize and actually embrace a negative belief about yourself. It's called a shame-based mindset. Now, there are three things, at least, that we become vulnerable to when we experience this kind of shame-based thinking. And they're on your outline. I hope you'll fill in these blanks. Number one, we are vulnerable to perfectionism. Vulnerable to perfectionism. We attempt to silence our shame with an error-free performance or ever-admitting failure. 
So I'm not a bad person. Look, I finished the task and I did it really well. I must be valuable because, look, I did such a good job. And so we're vulnerable to perfectionism. The second thing is that we become critical of ourselves, making us critical of others. Critical of ourselves, that make us critical of others. We're very hard on ourselves, and that makes us sometimes hard on others. We see our own faults mirrored in other people, and when that happens, we become judgmental of them, and then we're perceived as judgmental or self-righteous or that sort of thing. Oftentimes, the very thing, listen, the very thing that people tend to rail against are the issues they struggle with themselves. Maybe you've heard the old adage, what, uh, you are what you hate and you hate what you are. You are what you hate and you hate what you are. People often lash out at issues in others that are weaknesses in their own lives. Here's my challenge to you. The next time you find yourself railing against someone or criticizing someone or judging someone, either internally or you're vocalizing that, in someone else's presence and you're, you're criticizing another person, stop and ask yourself, why am I so critical of that particular issue in that person's life? Just let it reflect back for a second and just process. See where you land. So we're critical of ourselves. That makes us critical of others. Then the third thing we're vulnerable to is we use self-defeating, self-defeating thoughts as a form of protection and escape. So we focus on the worst possible outcome. This is never going to work out. They're never going to like me. I'm never going to be their friend. I'm never going to have a close relationship with them. And so that, uh, through that own self-defeating thoughts, we end up sabotaging what could be a very meaningful experience, very meaningful relationship. And people sabotage relationships all the time with self-defeating thoughts. This comes out of this shame-based concept, self-concept. Now, this is why Christmas can get so crazy. I'm talking to someone in the room right now. This will happen to you. You will be home for the holidays, and for no apparent reason, your mother will lash out at you. Why do you wear your hair that way? Why did you bring macaroni and cheese to Christmas dinner again? Is that all you know how to make? And mom, for no apparent reason, will just take a shot at you. And what she is likely dealing with is the shame that has warped her own self-concept and is spilling out on you and the people around you. She doesn't like who she is, and so she's criticizing the people around her. Or your dad goes off and gets drunk. Or, you know, Uncle Bob, he's drunk again and disengages from the rest of the family. And someone says, oh boy, there he goes again. Why does he always, why every year does he get drunk and carry on like this? Well, you might not realize that this is his very unhealthy way of dealing with a very real internal shame. Maybe your in-laws are sitting at the table and they start picking at you for the way you're raising your kids. I don't think I approve of the way you're raising my grandkids. Wow. But maybe they feel inadequate or a failure for not being the best parents that they could be and they're mirroring that toward you. So how do we respond sometimes? We have to... Let's self-evaluate a little bit. How do we respond to all that? We become hypercritical of everyone else. You're going to take a shot at me? I'm going to take a shot at you. Why do we do that? Because we are very critical of ourselves. These are the things that we are vulnerable to, and you can see how it damages our emotions and hinders our relationships when we go through the world in some kind of shame-based 
perspective. Now, here's my deepest prayer for us today, that the God of healing grace would touch each one of us at the point of our need, and particularly if we suffer from some kind of shame-based thinking, that God's power and God's healing grace will impact our lives beginning today, and we'll begin to believe about ourselves the truest thing about us, which is what God says about us. Look on the screens with me at Isaiah 54, verse 4. It says, fear not, you will no longer live in shame. You'll no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid. There is no more disgrace for you. You will no longer remember the shame of your youth. Isn't that a great promise? That was a word from Isaiah to the people of his day, and it's a good word for people of any day. No more shame. Now, how is that possible? This is the only way it's possible. Look at this verse, 1 John 1, 9. The Bible says, if we confess our sins, God, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins, purify us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that's the good news. Hear the good news. If you are in Christ, the Bible says that you are a new creation. The old has passed away. New things have come. You have been separated from your sins as far as the east is from the west. Now think about me, 12 years old. I did a really bad thing. I'm tripping children and stealing their candy. How bad can it be? That's a bad, that's a bad thing to do. But I've been separated from that sin as far as the east is from the west. The Bible says that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. Now this is worth the price of admission. Listen to me. There are two things that the devil uses against your life. Two primary things. One is accusation, and the second thing is condemnation. Accusation and condemnation. He will accuse you. When you do something wrong, he'll point it out to you immediately. Look what you did. You're a horrible person. Look what they did to you. You must be worthless. No one would do that to to a person unless they perceived that you were of no value. You must be a worthless piece. You, You must be discardable. You must just be rubbish as a human being. Accusation and condemnation. You must be a bad person. For you to have done that, it must mean you're bad. And you should feel bad because you are bad. Accusation and condemnation. But the Bible says that God is good and that his forgiveness is real. And if God is good and his forgiveness is real, then his word is true. And when he says he separated your sin from you, and there is therefore now no condemnation... For those who are in Christ, it means that he has the liberating grace to set us free, not only from the stain of the sins that we have committed, but from the power and the influence that it has on our lives. It's wonderful good news. Now, let me, let me give you an illustration. You'll remember that the people of Israel, the, the Jews, were actually placed in slavery. They were in bondage in Egypt for 430 years. Try to let that sink in for a minute. For 430 years, four centuries, everybody in your group of people were slaves. You were a slave. Your parents were slaves. Your grandparents were slaves. Your great-grandparents were slaves. For as far back as anyone can remember, we were all slaves. That's who we are. So for days, weeks, years, decades, centuries, generation after generation after generation, I'm a slave. And so my self-identification for hundreds of years in my family and in my clan and in, and in my culture, we are all slaves, which means we're worthless. 
I am nothing. I'm not important. I, have a, I am of no value. I am a slave. But you remember God raised up a deliverer. His name was Moses. He goes to Pharaoh and he says, let the people of God go. And God uses a big crowbar and he leverages, he leverages the, his power. And Pharaoh finally says, okay, I'm letting the people go. And so the people then were freed from Egyptian bondage after 430 years. But here's what we observe. The people were released from slavery on the outside, but we know from their behavior that they proved to still be slaves on the inside. Now follow this. They were still enslaved to the shame of their prior identity. They were out of slavery, but slavery wasn't out of them. They were out of Egypt, but Egypt wasn't out of them. They were physically free, but they were not free in their hearts, and they were not free in their self-identity. They still perceived themselves, because of the shame that had come to them, still perceived themselves as slaves, as worthless, as without potential. Now, carry over that, that kind of dynamic into your relationship with God. Because as it turns out, we're all slaves. You are, and I am, a slave to sin. All of us are slaves. And we're, we're held in bondage. And as a result of that, and the behaviors that we have engaged because of our sinful ways, we have, we have taken into our minds and into our hearts, into our, into our personhood, a sense of shame. And so we have, we have taken the what and, taken, and, and, and moved it all the way over to the who. I've done bad things, so I know I'm a bad person. I've been rejected, so I know I'm worthless. I, I have sinned against others, and I know I'm of no account. And so we have fallen right in line with this. And so we were slaves to sin, and it's hard for us to shake the slave mentality because while we can be free from our sins, and this is what, this is what Christians gravitate to in becoming Christians, we hear this wonderful good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we can have our sins forgiven, and we're thankful for his forgiveness, but we have yet to internalize the absolute and ultimate freedom found in a relationship with Jesus. So while we've been free from our sins, we're out of Egypt, the Egypt still lingers, and while we're physically free, we're not free in our hearts and free in our minds to be everything God wants us to be, and so shame is a problem. The problem is that we're still believing that we are something that God says we are not. We believe to be true something that is simply not true. We believe about ourselves something that God does not agree with. And let me just remind you, the truest thing about you is what God says about you. And God says a lot of wonderful things about you. And by the way, it's the devil who will say to you, accusation, condemnation, he will say to you, shame on you. But listen to me, God will never say shame on you because he knows that shame is a destructive emotion that can hinder your life and alter the way you serve him. So here's how shame, the whole shame-based thing seeps into my life. This is, as I said, kind of personal confession. Maybe you can identify with me. Maybe your shame is based in some other category, but this is how it plays out for me. I struggle personally with perfectionism and performance-based approval. That's my deal. Now, I'm sure a therapist could help me sort that out. 
Some of my good friends have therapists. They ask me about my therapist. I don't have a therapist. I said, I have a wife, but I don't have a therapist. And maybe I should get a therapist. In fact, if I had decided to get a therapist, how many of you would help me pay for one? You would, just say, you would say, I'm behind that, Pastor. Get, a, get yourself a therapist. <laughs> I, th- I think it could help you. <laughs> but if I had a therapist, they would probably help me sort out the why I am this way to help me understand it better. And probably they would start with my family of origin. They'd say, tell me about your mother. Then they'd want to know that I'm the firstborn in my family. Then they'd want to know my personality type and study that a little bit. And they'd put all this together and probably help me understand why it is I have this kind of shame-based orientation. By the way, anybody here have a perfect family? Your family's perfect? Yeah, if you're from a perfect family, you know, wow, good for you. That just means you've got none of, none of this to worry about. But most of us, most of us have come from families with issues, <laughs> and we've got some baggage, and all of us carry that stuff. And so this affects us, and that's, that's what was true for me. So here's what happened to me. Here's what I internalized for many, many years in my life. And I can tell you when this all started to change, when I got insight into what I'm talking to you about right now. And by the way, I know a lot about what I'm talking about because of this experience. Here's what I internalized. I'm not enough. I'm not adequate. I always fall short. It doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter how hard I try. It's never going to be good enough. Now, that is a shame-based identity that I have internalized in my life, and it's held me back. So with a tendency toward perfectionism and high performance, I spent a good part of my life trying to perform my way to acceptance. You name the category. Academic achievement, athletic success, career performance, all that stuff, all those things. You name it. Here's my problem. I finally came to terms with this. I realized my problem. Every single day, I disappoint a boatload of people. So remember, I'm trying to perform to get approval. So I can approve of myself and get approval from others. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to be perfect. I'm trying to work really hard to demonstrate that, I, that, 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 I'm, that I'm enough, that I'm adequate. But here's what I realized. It doesn't matter how hard I try. There's a whole, a whole passel of people every day that I can't possibly meet their expectations. I can't do it as a husband. I can't do it as a father. I can't do it as a grandfather. I can't do it as a friend. I can't do it as a pastor. I can't do it as a leader because I got all these people in my life who, who just fill my life with can yous. Can you do this? Can you be that? Can you meet my expectation? Would you please do this for me? And I realized I just, I'm just going to fail every time. Now, in my earlier life, the way that I faced this when I got in trouble like that is I just concluded that, that the way out of this is to work harder. I just got to work harder. Because if, if I'm trying to get my approval through performance and perfectionism, then what I got to do is I got to keep grinding. And so if I work hard and I really try hard, then maybe I'll get myself out of this mess. But the fact is, regardless of how hard I tried and regardless of the consequences to relationships and everything else, 
I just kept my nose to the grindstone and just tried to keep functioning in this, this thing that was motivated by shame. It's not good. Now, let me just remind you what shame-based thinking, where it can take you. Vulnerable to perfectionism, critical of ourselves and therefore critical of others, self-defeating thoughts to protect ourselves and to escape. So here's the solution. And listen, I know what I'm talking about. This is the solution. There aren't two solutions. There aren't three. There is one. This is the solution. The only way to heal from shame is to move from the focus from what I am and what I am not to who Christ is and who Christ is. That's the only solution. I got to take the focus off of me and I have to put it on Jesus. Whenever you're focused on yourself, you're going to come up short time and time again. When you think bad of yourself, listen, it may actually be partially true. I mean, you can't live in denial that, that you're not all that all the time. You got to come to terms with that. You got to be honest. You can't be in denial. You know, sometimes you just say, I'm a dope. Well, sometimes you are a dope. Have you noticed? <laughs> I mean, that's partially true. Or I'm a bad person. Well, sometimes you are a bad person. That, that happens. In my case, I'm so inadequate. Well, shoot, that's true all the time. Because as it turns out, we all need others to help us. We're all inadequate. That's true. And so some of you say, I'm just pathetic. Now, I don't, I don't mean to be unkind or anything, but, you know, some of you actually are kind of <laughs> pathetic. <laughs> so you can't, you, can't, you can't live in denial of that. You've know, you got to own that. But if you focus on yourself, then you always come up short. You're never going to get there. We must move our focus off of us and place our focus on who Christ is. It's, he is the solution, the only solution to our shame. Now, I want you to do some homework. At the bottom of your outline, you see it there. Here's my challenge to you. Have I been vulnerable with you this morning? So I'm modeling for you what it looks like to, to be vulnerable with people around you. You can do the same thing. You can talk to a trusted friend. You can bring this up in your small group. Talk to God in prayer about this. Ask, ask folks to help you with this, to fill in these two blanks. I am not something, and because of Christ, I am something. Let me give you some examples. Maybe you can resonate. I am not bad. Because of Christ, I am forgiven. I'm not broken. Because of Christ, I'm a new person. The old has gone. I'm not disgusting. Because of Christ, I am loved. I am loved. The way I would fill in these blanks is, I'm not inadequate. Because of Christ in me, he is more than enough. He is more than enough. So we move the focus off ourselves and onto Christ. Now back to the Israelites, 430 years of bondage. Now they're out of Egypt, but remember, the Egypt wasn't out of them. They are still in bondage from the shame of their past, from their past experiences. Many years then after they had been physically liberated, God says something to them. Look at this verse, Joshua 5, 9. Then the Lord said to Joshua, today, look at it. Today, I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. How cool is that? How powerful is that? Today, 
I've rolled away the shame that you carried out of Egypt. He didn't say not after three years of counseling, not after years of paying your dues for being off track. He said today, he said, shame was on you. Shame was on you, but now shame is off of you. It was rolled onto you because of the circumstances of your slavery, but I'm rolling it off by my power. Today, God has rolled it off of you. And I want you to feel that. I want you to internalize that. I want to, you to know that shame has been removed from you by amazing grace. That's the key. So you are not what you did in the past. You are not what others say you are. You are not what you think you are. You are not what somebody did to you. So who are you? Here's what, here's what God says you are. You are who Christ says you are. Christ says that you are free, that you are forgiven, that you are changed, you are redeemed, you are healed, you are blessed, you are chosen, you are complete, you are a child of God. The old has gone from your life and the new has come. You are out of Egypt and Egypt is out of you. You are out of shame and shame is out of you. Because today, by the power of God, he has rolled shame off of you and he has rolled his grace onto you. No more accusation, no more condemnation, no more do I have to dread feeling these things about myself. I can be accepted and loved and forgiven because of God's power and God's grace toward me. Today, you can allow shame to be rolled off of you. And you can identify yourself, not by what you've said, not by what you've done, not by your failures, not by your past, but you can identify yourself by who Christ is. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So where are you today? What is it for you? Do you carry a secret? Is it something you regret? Did you hurt someone? Did you fail? And in that, the enemy has tried to connect the what with the who. Have you believed that lie? It happens. Have you concluded that you're bad? That you're dirty? That you're nothing? That you're useless? Here's the invitation today. Take the focus off of you and put the focus on Christ. Put it on him. I may be inadequate, but here's my confession today. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Isaiah 54, one more time. Fear not. You will no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid. There's no more disgrace for you. You will no longer remember the shame of your youth. Now, as we have done in each of these uh, messages in Advent, I want to just pause and give us a chance to think about and pray about these things. I know this is a relevant message to you. I know it is. And you're either embracing it today or you're, you're pushing it away, but, but you know and I know <laughs> this is a relevant topic for us. And so I want to pause and just uh, invite the Holy Spirit of God to touch us, the power of God to touch us at the point of our need. Let me pray for us. I'll give, the, I'll give us the words. If you resonate with it, then you can make it your prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? And let's be in a spirit of prayer. Father, we thank you today for your goodness. 
We thank you for your grace. And we pray, especially in this season of time, when it can often be difficult and even painful for so many people, that we might meet the goodness of Jesus and find his healing presence. Now, friends, let me ask you, if you're in the room today and you know that shame has warped your identity, maybe even polluted the way you live, and you want to let shame roll off of you today, and you want your identity to be found in Christ, if that's you today, would you just, no one's looking around, would you just lift your hand and say, that's, that's me, pray for me, Pastor. I identify with this message. Yeah, 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 so many, so many. Lord, we thank you today that your promise is sure that as we confess our sins, you are faithful. As we confess, you are just. As we confess our sins, you, you're our source, and you will forgive us of all unrighteousness. As we confess, that's, that's our part of the job. You will do the cleansing work. So we confess the things that we've done, Lord, the, the secret. We confess that thing, that regret. Lord, hear our confession. Lord, I, I hurt someone. Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, I failed. I failed in that moment. I failed in that relationship. Lord, thank you that you will hear our confession today and that you're faithful and just to cleanse, purify us from all unrighteousness. We thank you today, Lord, that we are who you say we are, not what we've done not what others have done to us or what others say or even what we say about ourselves. That because of you, we are accepted and loved and forgiven. We are made new and whole by your wonder-working power. God, how wonderful it is to know that I'm not yesterday's lies. I am today's expression of your amazing grace. Today, Today, this moment, we receive forgiveness from the weight of our sin. And we receive the liberty, the freedom to know that we are saved and made right with God. No more accusation, no more condemnation do I dread because of the wonderful healing power of God's grace. Lord, today, we receive your promise that you have rolled away the shame of whatever held us back and we are free and we are without fear because of your saving wonderful work now if you've received something today you say amen